I hate clutter uh, passionately, really. Um, I, I don't care at all about dirtiness, and Bryn would tell you this, like, I would never vacuum our house because vacuuming doesn't remove clutter. If I could vacuum up papers uh, that are in the wrong place, then I, that would be a great invention for me. But I hate clutter, and, it, and clutter, what it does to me uh, is it, it makes me not be able to think, and it makes me feel like I'm less creative, and it makes me feel like I can't enjoy the thing I'm trying to enjoy, and it just distracts me from everything that I think is good. And I think there's some of you who, who understand what I'm saying. Others of you don't. My wife is not a person who understands what I'm saying, but uh, some of you understand what I'm saying, that clutter is just maddening, that it's frustrating, that even when I was totally disorganized person in my younger days, even then uh, I had to have a perfectly clean workspace because it's just hard for me to think if there's something in the wrong place. Even like sometimes I'll turn pens and make sure they're facing the right way because it seems uh, just simpler and less cluttered uh and uh, it's how it is um one of my favorite magazines is real simple magazine you ever seen that magazine because it just makes me feel good uh like oh look how organized those people are uh and some of you get it and some of you are like yeah that's hard for me to enjoy and to think and to process and to be creative uh when it comes to to clutter but i think all of us can attest that we see during the Christmas seasons that our lives become so cluttered by everything that we oftentimes lose sight of the things that are really important during this season. Uh, and if you're a Christian, then the important part of the season is Jesus. And we think that it's like his birthday, and, and not literally, but it's when we celebrate his birthday. And we think that this is the, he is the reason for the season. We like to say things like that and keep Christ in Christmas. But we, but we if we were just to examine our lives and to think about our lives, we would probably admit that even for us who are really passionate about Jesus being in the center of Christmas, like... Things get so cluttered by, you know, traditions and family and food and all the things we have to do. It gets so cluttered that oftentimes it's really difficult to even think about or remember or process or uh, be excited about like the real heart of what Christmas is all about. Um, sometimes even take it a step further. I think it's even hard to find the truth about what the Christmas story is because of all the clutter. Let me just give you an example of that. Whenever we see like uh, stories about Christmas, we always see this innkeeper being like a jerk and, and just sending this pregnant woman away. And, and the story, there's no innkeeper in the Bible even. Like it's not even a character in the Christmas story. So even sometimes when we talk about like the birth of Jesus, like so much is driven by the clutter and not the actual like story. Um, and we even, I mean, songs that we'll sing, I, I think, will have things that, are, that are, might be true, but might not even be true. And sometimes we forget about the real, the real beauty, uh, the real magnificence of the Christmas story because of all the clutter. And, and so uh, here's what I think it's like. I think that Jesus is to Christmas what Waldo is to Where's Waldo? 
if you remember where's Waldo. So let us put up a picture for those of you that don't remember. Uh, this defined a good chunk of my childhood, where's Waldo. And so somewhere in the middle of that picture, uh, it's about center, just a little lower and right. Uh, you can see Waldo. I'm not even sure if you can see him on the screens, but Waldo's in there. And the whole concept of this, these Waldo books that were really big when I was a kid was that Waldo was somewhere on the page and you'd open the page and you were to look for him. And he's only hard to find because there is so much clutter around him. And in and, and the hard ones, it's like a whole bunch of red clutter and he's wearing a red striped shirt and you're like, I'm never ever going to find him. And here's even what happened in those books. Um, Where's Waldo became famous and the books were out and then they started to expand and, and they started to make you look for other things during uh, on the page. And so you, it wasn't good enough that you found Waldo. Now you have to find, you know, five people playing the trumpet uh, as well. And they became really addictive and really annoying all in one if you ever got into them because like, well, I have to find that now. And, and I think Christmas acts just that way. I think Jesus, for those of us who are Christians, is, is at the very center of it. And we believe that. But over time, we look at our lives and we're like, well, I can't even find Jesus anymore. And then we go, but really, I'm going to find all these other things at Christmas that are very important and they must be connected to Jesus. I need to make sure that I you know, get a, the right music on my radio and I need to make sure that I buy the right presents and the wrapping paper has to be perfect and the food has to be excellent. I got to see these family members and we need to go to this Christmas tree lighting and go see those Christmas lights in that neighborhood and if we don't then Christmas is just not complete we just didn't get it all in you see whatever you think it can't be Christmas without is probably clutter that is distracting you from Jesus If you've ever said like well it's not really Christmas if and then you fill in the blank there if whatever then it's probably clutter that at least at least it runs the risk of distracting you from what Christmas is really all about. And I, I kind of know this to be true because of the Starbucks cups. You never wanted to hear about them again, but they kind of became controversial. And I want to point out that uh, there's this passage of scripture that, that says that that if you're offended by the Starbucks cups, then I shouldn't try to get you to go drink Starbucks. And so that's not the goal. I wanna point that out ahead of time. And if you're offended because Starbucks had the intent of sucking Christmas away from us and you actually read Starbucks statement and it bothered you, then this isn't aimed at you. But if you were a person or you knew people uh, and there were people who were simply mad because there were no longer reindeers on the Christmas cup and you thought, now it's not Christmas anymore. This is not a Christmas cup because there's no reindeers or there's no snowmen then you kind of understand what I'm getting at. The, uh, the clutter of Christmas is really uh, sucking Jesus right out of it. It's removing Jesus from it. And here's the history of these cups uh, that we have up here. Uh, I knew you'd find this just interesting because you want to see them all together. Uh, and, and here's the thing about it. Here's the thing. For those of us who are Christians, what I don't see on any of those cups is Jesus. And so it's weird to me that when they go all red... A cup that we really like, except for my brother-in-law, Drew, is bothered by they put the logo too low on the cup. It annoys him, and now it can annoy you, too. Um, it's just too low, isn't it? It's kind of off kilter there. But uh, if you look, there's no Jesus on any of those. And so for a lot of people, there weren't many people who were actually offended by these cups. But for many people, it wasn't really that Starbucks was trying to take 
Christmas away from us or that they, they were trying to remove Jesus from Christmas. What it really was is that they were bothered that there weren't ornaments or snowman on the cup. And in some way, for them, they thought it just can't be a Christmas cup if there's no reindeer or snowman or sleds or snow. It can't be. And this is how we think. In our heads, even those of us who love Jesus and think about Jesus, a lot of times we're like, it just can't be Christmas without The first part that we're willing to give up sometimes is the central part of the story. That's Jesus. We're celebrating his birth and we're willing to throw that aside because it really can't be Christmas with all this other stuff. Now, here's the thing. Here's the whole goal of this Christmas series. The whole goal is for us to just simply look at the Christmas story. The whole goal of this series is simply to to look at at simply Christmas and to stop looking at all these things that have been added to the story and and to really just take a moment in our services to step away from, from all the glitter and the glamour and just to go, wait a minute, what is this actually, what is it actually all about? And it's our goal, we're gonna simplify the Christmas songs and and the Christmas party is going to be simple and you'll notice that we, before Starbucks released their red Christmas uh, cups, we actually de-Christmased our our sermon series design. It's like a gray on a gray background and the first design was white with a black text over it because it's just too much sometimes And, and the goal is to get back to the heart of what Christmas is all about. And here's the great news. Here's the really awesome news. There's a book in the Bible, book of Luke, that tells the Christmas story. And the cool part is, is that Luke is writing this book to an individual, a guy named Theophilus. And Theophilus would not have had any concept of what this Christmas celebration is about. He just didn't know that much. Now here's, the, here's even further, it gets better, because Theophilus was a Roman man. He wasn't even a Jewish man. And so some of the traditions that that could have led to us, the celebration of Hanukkah and uh, really the celebration of of the removal of a statue, an idol from the temple is why we celebrate Christmas during the Christmas season, uh, gets passed down to us at this day. And that would not have been part of of Theophilus' thinking. He wouldn't have had that background information. Furthermore, Theophilus, it's interesting, as a guy who loves God, but is pretty widely believed that he's not even a Christian. So he doesn't come in with any like extra knowledge of the story, you know, a bad sermon that he heard that told him that there was an innkeeper. There's none of that for Theophilus. He's a person that has an idea of God and he kind of likes the idea of God and it looks, it appears from the way Luke talks to him that he's going to write this letter to Theophilus because Theophilus is in some ways an explorer. He's like a lot of Americans that we have that go, I just, I, I love God, sure, but I don't know about that Jesus character. And Luke is probably being paid by Theophilus to write an orderly account, Luke's words, of the story of Jesus, a story that Luke has been traveling around the whole known world telling people. He's he's writing it down so that Theophilus can be more certain about these things that he's kind of hearing about this guy named Jesus. So there's not a ton of background information for Theophilus. Now, here's the other really cool part, two, two more really cool parts about Theophilus and who he was. I think the first part is 
that Theophilus is going to approach this book with such fresh eyes. And, and kind of our goal is, is to just, my goal in preaching is just to help you hear it the way I think Theophilus would have heard it. Because when we do that, it kind of just removes all the clutter and it gets us right back to the center of it. It's like, wait, what does this story actually say? What are, what are we actually saying as Christians uh, about Christmas, what is it? I mean, why do we celebrate? Why did the original authors of the Bible want us to celebrate this? What is it really all about? And the other really cool part is that the story that's written down for Theophilus in the book of Luke probably led him to be a Christian because here's the difference. In in Luke, he calls him most excellent Theophilus when he writes this book called Luke. And in the book of Acts, he drops that terminology and he doesn't refer to him as most excellent anymore. And in the early church, uh, sad we've kind of lost a little bit of this, but it was pretty unthinkable to refer to somebody who was another Christian with such a high kind of standard and regard. Most excellent. They all just looked at each other as brothers and sisters. It didn't matter if you were the president of the country or you were a peasant in the country. You all just looked at each other and you were brothers and sisters. I wish we had some of that back. And so when he writes the first book and says, most excellent Theophilus, he's probably writing to Theophilus before he becomes a Christian. But when he writes Acts, he drops the title. And at the very least, their friendship has grown, but, but maybe... Theophilus has become a Christian and Luke wants to continue the story for him. And this is cool because this is, this is magnificent. Some of us who are Christians have seen it so many times, the Christmas story and the whole story of Jesus, that it's like not impressive to us anymore. And I think that looking through the eyes of Theophilus, who's just hearing it for the first time, can be so valuable to us. Others, others of you may not be Christians and, and here's the thing, you go, well, it's just whatever. I mean, Christmas, I've heard it. We have these Christians and I mean, they have bumper stickers and they hand me things that say keep Christ in Christmas and they like to rhyme stuff at Christmas and they get really mad if I say happy holidays and not Merry Christmas. But none of that's actually leading me to Jesus, you know? And here's the really cool part. As far as I know, Luke doesn't have any cliche rhymes. As far as I know, Luke's not mad at Theophilus for not being a Christian. As far as I know, Luke isn't like, if they say happy holidays, then they ruined everything during December, you know? Luke just writes this orderly account about what happened in the life of Jesus, including and really jumping off with the story of Christmas. And it's so compelling to Theophilus that he may very well have become a Christian because Luke writes this book for him, this document for him. And so even if you've come here today and you just are like, I just, Jesus isn't the center of Christmas for me, it's something else. I think if you'll just stick around for this series and you'll listen to this series and you'll take part of it and you'll just look at what Theophilus read 2,000 years ago, then maybe you'll just move even just a little bit towards going, maybe Jesus should be the center of Christmas because this is a pretty powerful and compelling story. This is how Luke begins in Luke 1, 26 and 27. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
Now, this is pretty incredible um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, Lucas started his book not with the person of Jesus, but with uh, Jesus' cousin, a man named John. We call him John the Baptist. And the story of John the Baptist's birth was incredible. I mean, his parents are too old to have children. His dad is picked to be the priest who goes into the temple during the time of year that they went into the temple and he gets this vision from an angel and he comes out and he's unable to talk because the angel saw his doubt and God had punished him with an inability to talk and and they name him a name that would have never fit with the family line and everybody knows that John's Baptist is miraculous because of all these weird things that surrounded it. And when we approach the passage of scripture today, 126 through 38 in the book of Luke, It's Luke's goal, really, the the primary goal of this passage is to say, look, I've set you up with this incredible birth, Theophilus, that you would be like, wow, that's pretty strange. That's worth something exploring. And I've set you up because I want you to see that this other birth of this more important person is way crazier and way more awesome. That's the whole kind of goal of our passage. I mean, if you heard a story about an angel coming to a guy and people having a baby when they're nearing 100 years old and the dad couldn't talk even though he was a pious man and both the parents knew that the name was supposed to be a different name even though the dad couldn't talk. I mean, you'd be like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty impressive. Where is this leading? And then it's like a bait and switch for Luke. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But let me tell you a greater birth story that that first birth story actually pointed to. And he starts with This girl, God sending an angel to this girl. Now, here's the thing. Mary's a virgin, and Theophilus would have known that uh, at her age, when she was pre-marriage, she would have been like 14 years old, somewhere in that range. Now, think about that. We forget about that. Uh, She would have been 14 years old. She probably was not a wealthy girl. She was a normal girl, in fact, by everything we can read in the Bible except for in her faith. She was a girl who lived in a less than normal town. You've never thought about this before, probably, but she lived in a town, Bethlehem, that had uh, between four and 600 people in it. It's famous now, right, because because it's like her town, right? I mean, to Nazareth. Sorry, I said Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. To Nazareth. It's a four to 600 person town. Like, and we go, well, it's Nazareth. It's like a famous town. Of course. I mean, there's things that happen there in the Bible. Four to 600. Let me put that in context for you. Dufer, at the high end of that. Who knows Dufer in the state of Oregon? 604 people. And Wasco, 410. I mean, for... Luke, to write this story to Theophilus, he's probably like, does somebody have a map? Because I don't know where this girl was from. And an angel is being sent to this little, teeny, tiny town. This isn't like going to LA and everybody could tell a story and there's a bunch of crazy people around. This is a little farming town. She lived in a region, the region of Galilee, that's like a state for the Israelites, uh, that was known for being less spiritual than all the other regions. It was Oregon of Israel. I mean, that's really what it was. Uh, That's where people came from that just weren't as spiritual. They weren't as God-minded. They just weren't as focused on on things of of the Bible and stuff like that. Uh, She was engaged to a normal man. We'll learn that later, a carpenter. And here's, here's really... For Theophilus, how he would have read it. An angel came to a nobody girl who was 14 years old. 
in a nobody town that nobody cared about. That's incredible, just by itself. And we know uh, some things about Gabriel that make it even more incredible. If you were to go back to the book of Daniel 8, 15 through 19, while I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice call from Uli, or from the Uli, calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later. Uh, in Daniel 9, 20 through 22, which I'm not going to read to you, uh, same Gabriel comes up again. And this Gabriel is like, here, let me tell you what happens in the future. Uh, so here's Gabriel. You go back to the Old Testament and there's this angel who's called by name that interacts with this very famous man in Israel's history, a man named Daniel, who was second in command in all the kingdom in which he lived. And Gabriel comes to him, hears directly from God and speaks to Daniel. In Luke 1.19, it says, the angel said to him, this is to John the Baptist, that I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Gabriel stands in the presence of God and so we have this celestial being, this angel who is powerful and who stands in the presence of God and the beginning of the Christmas story is this angel coming from God being sent to this girl who is a nobody. And Theophilus would have given pause at this and gone, something incredible is here. Something incredible is about to be told to me. Now, it's so easy for us to ignore it because we've heard it maybe, because we haven't heard it, because it sounds like it's fictional, because it sounds like a Disney story. But let's consider just for a second who Luke was. Luke was... An apostle that traveled around with a guy named Paul. He probably had interaction with the disciples. A lot of people that he actually think that he spoke to Mary to write his book. That his big source for this story, the Christmas story, was the mother of Jesus, Mary, this nobody girl who an angel was sent to. Now here's the other really cool and unique thing about Luke. Luke is, by all standards, one of the greatest historians that the world has ever known. Christians and non-Christians who are being honest will say that this guy, Luke, who wrote this book is one of the greatest historians ever to live because things that history says are wrong and Luke says are right keep, as time moves on, being proved to be right. He just keeps being proved right by archaeological evidence. And so whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you have to if you're fair and you're honest and you're a person who actually cares about understanding history, you have to admit that Luke is a fantastic historian, one of the world's best ever. And Luke is writing to this guy named Theophilus who has paid him to write an orderly account of the facts that he can find based on interviews and evidence. And he starts the story with something supernatural. An angel, maybe the angel, coming to a nobody girl. You see, a normal girl getting an extraordinary message from an extraordinary creature is simply Christmas. And Luke continues. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, he just says two things. I'd like to point that out. You're highly favored, and the Lord is with you. These are not giant proclamations. And what is so fascinating is I just read this and pondered this and tried to read this like Theophilus is like, why does Mary wonder about this greeting? He hasn't said what you might know is coming. Hey, I know you're a virgin, but you're going to give birth. All he said is God thinks pretty highly of you. And Mary wonders at it. Some would say that the Greek translation is that she kept wondering about it. Which makes you ask this question, how long is this moment? I mean, if he gives this greeting and Mary is wondering about it, how long is she pondering, why is he saying this to me? Why is he saying this to me? And here's what I think is so cool and it just keeps coming up in this. I think that we see a glimpse into why God chose this girl, this normal girl, as the mother of his child on earth. I think it's because there's a humility in Mary that not many of us possess. For many of us, we would go, well, of course, God thinks highly of me. I think highly of me. I mean, let's get to the big stuff. What are you here to tell me? For many of us, we would go, yeah, I am highly favored. And yes, God is with me. Uh, That's, I mean, something that I just expect God to be with me. A lot of us expect God to be with us at all times. But Mary hears this greeting. And she wonders about it. And we don't know why. I'm only guessing. And I wonder if Theophilus was guessing. You see, we think she wonders that she's interested in this greeting because of the virgin birth story. Because we've already kind of put some of the clutter back into it and gone, well, of course she wonders at this greeting. I mean, it's an obviously crazy greeting. But she's just taken aback by this being who has come to her and given her just this kind, kind of opening statement. But the angel said to her in Luke, 1 30 through 33 do not be afraid mary you have found favor with god and here's the big part you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over jacob's descendants forever his kingdom will never end now i just bit of a difficult declaration to swallow for a 14-year-old virgin girl. Uh, Don't be afraid. You've been graced by God. Here's how you know it. You're going to give birth. I mean, let's just, let's read it like Theophilus here. Come on. Think about the weirdness of that statement. Hey, I know you're a virgin. Don't be scared. You're going to be pregnant and give birth to a baby. No, that for a 14-year-old girl, I mean, 14-year-old girls, which Bryn told me I shouldn't make fun of 14-year-old girls when I preach anymore, but 14-year-old girls are freaked out about everything. I mean, let's just take this in for a moment. They're just freaked out about everything. And and he says, hey, just don't freak out about this. Here's the, the situation you're pregnant. That is just, that is beyond what I could not freak out about. I mean, it's miraculous. It's, it is not that different than telling me I'm pregnant because both of us, impossible for us to be pregnant, me and Mary. And he says, don't freak out. You're going to give birth to a son. Now, just we know it's Jesus and we know how great Jesus is. But just for a second, think about that. I mean, think about this, a historian, 
a guy that has been given the task of writing an orderly account so that this guy, Theophilus, can explore whether Christianity is true or not, goes right to, hey, an angel came to a nobody girl and told her that she was going to give birth even though she was a virgin. That's incredible. That's incredible. And he told her not to be scared. That's more incredible. And then he says these things about this son that she is going to have. His name will be Jesus. It means God saves. For Jewish people, names were extremely, extremely important. We don't have that as much anymore, um, but they still, we still have a little bit of that. We named our daughter Hazel, and uh, there's many reasons for that, for her name. And, and uh, if you talk to Bryn or I, or me, it's different on why we named her Hazel. But the thing that pushed both of us over the top is that we saw that the Hebrew connotation of the word uh, Hazel uh, actually means God sees. And it was a spot in life after our dog had died and knowing that we had been through miscarriages and didn't know if we would ever have her, that God had seen us in some ways. And so we named her God Sees. And this angel shows up and he looks at Mary knowing that she's going to understand his name to be very important. And he says, here's what you're going to call him. You're going to call him Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew, God saves. That's incredible. That's incredible. And then he says he will be great. And we know Jesus is great, but that's cool, right? I mean, that's cool if you're a brand new virgin mother to hear that your kid's gonna be great because, you know, sometimes we think like under those circumstances and in that small town, he's gonna be pushed aside and he won't be great. But this Jesus is going to be great. And look, I just want you to hear this. Maybe if you don't hear anything else, if you're not a Christian, Jesus is great. And you may be mad because of all of the things that Christians do and the things that we get mad about and the things that we talk about, but understand this, that this prophecy from this angel to this girl proves true because Jesus is great no matter what you think about his followers. And he also says that he will be son of the most high. This is the son of God. Think about that declaration. Don't think about what that theologically means. Don't think about how that's possible. Don't think about the Trinity if you've been around church forever. Don't think about all the stuff you know. Just think about this. He's going to be the very son of God. That's mind-blowing. It's something we can't even understand without reading the rest of the book. But for Theophilus reading this for the first time, he's gonna be like, wow, I've heard people claim that they're the son of God. But in a different way, this is going to be real. It's going to be real because God is going to do something miraculous here. He will be the king of Israel. I mean, think about that declaration. Anybody, you're going to be king. And check this out. His kingdom will last forever. It seems absolutely impossible, does it not? And as we read the rest of the book, we understand it to be true. And if you're Theophilus, this is what you're doing at this point. You're going, wait a minute. Is there any evidence to support this? Is this going to be true? And the rest of the book of Luke is just there to say these things are true, Theophilus. Who Jesus was when he was born was proved true by the rest of his life because he is the one who saves and he is great and he is the son of God and his kingdom is going to last forever. 
And then Mary asked the most logical question in the history of, this, of the world. Luke 1.34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. That's a good question. That's, a, that's what I would have asked. I wouldn't have been so calm. She's really calm even to think of the question. I just would have been like, okay, 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 you know, okay, interesting. That's what I say when I don't know what to say. Interesting, yeah, uh, okay. But Mary is still within herself, which is very impressive. And she says, how can it be? How can it be? And here's what the angel responds in Luke 1, 35 through 37. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was, uh, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. He says, here's how it's going to happen. God is going to do something. He is going to make you pregnant. And there are arguments about this in theological circles. And some people say, well, Jesus, you know, had to come in a, in, through a virgin because original sin comes through a man. And otherwise, Jesus would have been sinful. It's the most sexist theological statement anybody makes. Like, men contain all the sin in the world. Um, but some people would like to agree. And, and there's all this baggage with this statement. But Theophilus just would have heard, God is literally, without the natural process going to make this girl pregnant. And he would have gone, wow. That is almost unbelievable. But it's being written about by a guy who I trust to write good history and who is writing so that I may know the facts about the story of Jesus, a guy who conducted interviews one of which may have been with this girl who was told she would be pregnant. You see, what Christmas is about in so many ways is God's ability to do the impossible. And we say, virgin, pregnant, impossible. But when we remember simply Christmas, we are reminded that God can do anything, anything. And here's what Mary says to this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You see, here we see why she was probably picked. In Protestant circles, we have a tendency to just overlook and neglect and pretend that Mary was no good at all because we don't think that Catholics are right when they say that Mary was sinless and that she would never sin ever in her life. We think that's wrong. We think it goes against the biblical account of sin uh, and how we're all disobedient to God and things like that. And so sometimes we just relegate her to just another person. But while she was a nobody girl, she was an extraordinary girl because of her faith in what God would do. The actual translation of that is I am the Lord's slave. She doesn't say, why me? She doesn't say, 
this is dumb. I can't go through this. She doesn't say, what will everybody think? They'll think that me and Joseph got together. I mean, it's a small town. There's only four to 600 people. Everybody's going to talk to me. I'm going to be called a slut. I'm going to be called uh, a, a person who isn't righteous before God, even though I've spent my 14 years of life trying to live for God. I'm going to be called a whole bunch of things that I don't deserve. She doesn't say any of that. She doesn't say, God, get somebody else to do this work. Get somebody else. It shouldn't be me. I'm not the one for this job she says I am God's slave if this is what God wants then this is what I want to do I had this counseling class uh, in, in college and and more than one but uh we did these role plays. That's a part of counseling classes. If you ever had a psychology or counseling class, you may have done them too. And uh, somebody will pretend to have a problem and then you very poorly in our counseling classes try to help them work through this problem. And uh, sometimes you'd split in the groups and you'd kind of work through the problems with just a partner or whatever. And this one time, uh, Dr. Myers, my professor, brought this girl in and he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work on getting to the bottom of the story, which is really the key to good counseling is is asking a lot of questions to get to the heart of the story. That's why we have this image of couches in our head, because the whole goal of those couches is to get people to express the whole story. And uh, so he has this girl come, and she's sitting in front of the class, and she tells this story, and we think it's a role play. She says, well, my husband and I just got married, and now I got pregnant, and we don't have any money for this, and we're freaking out, and I'm super stressed, and I'm having trouble getting over it, and there's these other problems in her life, and and, and we are treating her just so clinically, uh, because for us, it's a role play, and, and we are just like, uh, you know, are there other sources of income? Uh, have you talked to your parents? You know, like just totally heartless asking these questions. And at some point in the conversation, I don't remember when it happened, we realized it wasn't a role play, that this girl had been expressing her real situation to us and she was freaked out. And it's so easy for us to treat Mary as this clinical exercise. Here, Yeah, of course, it's Mary. Of course, she said, I am the Lord's servant. Uh, that's just what she was supposed to do. She's in the Bible and all that. But when we just think of her as a human being, a 14-year-old girl, the emotions and the struggles that she would have been feeling here, I'm going to have a baby and he's going to be great, but I'm going to have a baby. And I'm not ready for that. And, and people around me are going to mock me to make that statement. I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's slave is incredible. And here's what Luke wants for Theophilus. And this is what Theophilus would have just at the very beginning of the book and throughout the whole book been forced with. This question, will I too be the Lord's servant? You see, recognizing that we too should humbly serve God is simply Christmas. That's simply Christmas. Recognizing that we should be God's servants is a part of this Christmas story. Finish in just a second, but uh, there's this Christmas song that's the worst Christmas song of all time. Um, you may know it. And there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. Do you know this song? There won't be snow. Uh, the greatest gift they'll get this year is life. Where nothing ever grows, nor no rain or river flow, do they know it's Christmas time at all. 
It's, it's so dumb for so many reasons. I actually read a whole article about how it was dumb. Uh, and it was a guy writing from Africa. Uh, and the guy in Africa is writing about this. And he's like, A, he's in Uganda. A, 85% of people in Uganda are Christians. So they probably have an idea that we're celebrating Christmas this time of year. B, the soil in Uganda is incredible. And we can grow anything here, although we're not very good at it because of economic situations but uh and and see he posted pictures of santa clauses in stores so it's a stupid song but i think that the the and it keeps coming back they're about to re-release a new version where you can uh, buy the song and it supports giving money to people who are in need or something uh but but it's a stupid song because because It points to this reality that we think we can't know it's Christmas if we don't have all this clutter in our lives. And really, what it's all about is us trusting the Son of God and trusting God to do the impossible. It's about our humble trust and in this incredible baby who would be born to this girl who is regular because we see just how miraculous the story really is. And Luke says, simply Christmas is about a a little baby being born to a normal girl under extraordinary circumstances. And the whole point that Luke wants us to get at today is that because of this, during this Christmas season and every Christmas season and every day, we should be willing to explore the reality of these claims made by this angel 2,000 years ago. And so if you're not a Christian... Here's just the simple invitation. Simple invitation is this. I want you to come back next week. Come back next week. Come listen again. See more of Luke's unfolding of this story. It's the simple thing that Luke wants from Theophilus. I'm guessing, just a guess, that Theophilus at this point in the story doesn't go, yeah, Christian. I'm going to become a Christian right now. Jesus, that's the answer. I know I should put Jesus back as the reason for the season because bam, Luke just laid it all out there. It's an invitation from Luke to Theophilus to just continue to explore this person of Jesus. And I would say if you're not a Christian, continue to explore because this historian has written this thing about what simply Christmas is. And then if you are a Christian, here's what I ask from you. If you're a Christian, I just want you to take a moment this week and to think about the greatness of Jesus. You don't even have to think about the Christmas part of the story of Jesus. I just want you to take a moment and think about how what Luke wrote down about what happened before Jesus was even born turns out to be true. He is great. And if you will just take a moment, just even a moment this week, and just sit and think about the greatness of Jesus, then you will be closer to the heart of what simply Christmas is than all this clutter sometimes allows for us to be. If you're not a Christian, keep exploring. And if you are a Christian, remember how great Jesus is. And we'll keep exploring this together. Will you pray with me, Lord? I thank you uh, for Mary and what you did in her life, God. And I pray that we would take the attitude of Theophilus over the next three weeks, God, and we'll start singing Christmas music next week at church, and we have a Christmas party coming up, but over the next three weeks, I pray, God, that we could just continue to look at this story for all that it is and avoid all that it's not. And I pray, God, 
that you would bring people to salvation this Christmas through this series because people would see how incredible the real Christmas is. And I pray, God, that those of us who, who love you already would get back to the heart of the Christmas story. And God, we, we would remember that you are great. And we would just at least take moments to declutter and just to sit in a room and think about what really happened 2,000 some years ago when you came to this earth. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for coming here so that we might be saved. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.